morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone, wherever you are and at the moment, and welcome to a new episode of the Review of Democracy podcast. Today, we have two special guests, Professor Gestrein, who is Assistant Professor at the Department of Governance and Innovation at the University of Groningen, and Professor Bialashevich, who is Professor of European Governance at the University of Amsterdam. Today's topic is about the Digital Green Certificate, uh, which is a proposal issued by the European Commission on the 17th of March uh, in order to facilitate safe free movement of people inside the European Union. Very briefly, uh, this certificate uh, entails uh, three kinds of proofs that can be given in order to, uh, to certificate for, for safe travel. The first one is it's vaccination. The second one is negative test result. And then we have some proof of uh, recovery from COVID, which is something uh, ambiguous, at least in this term. So we will delve into this topic at length with our guests. Uh, one thing I would like to add before giving the floor to our guests is that just a few days ago, the European Parliament voted in the plenary to use uh, the urgent procedure, which is a different procedure from the ordinary one, um, in order to speed up the process. The process and this um, and this procedure in essentially entails different features. Uh, I would say uh, less parliamentary scrutiny, just to say uh, to, to to keep it general. So the first thing, the first question I would like to pose, uh, starting with Professor Bialasevich, is what is what is the official purpose uh, behind this European Commission proposal? Thank you for, for the invitation, first of all, and I'm very happy to speak about this proposal because it is one that I have to say troubles me greatly. I mean, of course, I'm not the only one who it troubles, but I think it's a very relevant discussion. Also, because I think there's a lot of um, misunderstanding about what these things are, what they should be and what they should accomplish. And it's very timely that we have this conversation right now because just actually last night, um, Commissioner Thierry Breton went on French TV to show a for the, you know, the first facsimile of the supposed certificate, what it's going to look like, and announced that it should be ready to be rolled out by the 15th of June. Now, what is behind this idea? So the official line is that these are meant to, quote, facilitate safe free movement. Now, um, I think, you know, in the conversation we will have today, I think very quickly it will come out that the movement will neither be safe nor free. So I think that already is a kind of a, um, contradictory statement. But what's behind it? I mean, the, you know, the immediate um, answer that I would give, because this is the official answer, is, you know, to allow for travel to resume, whether it's business travel or tourism travel, especially, and as you and the listeners will be aware, there's been a very strong push, not just from states with important tourism economies, um, both in the south of Europe, but also elsewhere, um, from uh, travel industry associations. And so, you know, you could identify, I mean, if it's not really that hidden of a motive, I mean, the need to somehow reactivate those sectors, especially with the summer coming. But I think there's another reason behind it that's equally important. Um, and it's really about rebuilding trust, or better yet, showing that the Commission is able to do something. 
that it's somehow able to ensure security. Um, and then, you know, we can keep talking about that, whether it's actually doing uh, that. But I think, you know, considering the various um, difficulties of the past year by now, um, the lack of trust that unfortunately, you know, many European citizens have, you know, whether it's uh, after the, the fiasco with how, you know, the vaccine, uh, you know, uh, rollout happened, um, I think that's a very important motivation as well to show that we can do something. We as the Commission, we can act in coordinated fashion, you know, to ensure European safety. And once more, I don't think that safety is being ensured, but that is, you know, one of the, the guiding motives, certainly. Thank you very much, Professor Galashevich. It's, it's clear that here we have at least two different purposes, one which is uh, officially uh, said and, and evident, and another one which is uh, actually not, uh, not less important about building trust again. Uh, so, Professor Gestrein, uh, uh, would you like to add something about, uh, about this uh, European Commission proposal, uh, how it was uh, initially conceived, whether something changed, uh, along the road. Yes, thank you for uh, inviting me, and I agree actually with everything that has already been said. Um, I think we need to keep in mind that if the European Commission wouldn't act at this point in time, member states would go ahead with their initiatives, and there are several initiatives of member states in the EU. Uh, you know, states such as Sweden, Denmark, Austria and others who have already announced that they will work on, on uh, their own kind of versions of these passports. So uh, there clearly the goal is and the objective is, um, apart from what has already been said, to, to have a standardization of those efforts. And um, the question is, however, if we look closer at what has been presented on the 17th of March, whether this standardization is actually really going to be achieved. And I personally have, um, yeah, quite significant, quite significant doubts about that. Can, okay, can I, I jump like, in? Of Sorry. course you can. Um, I just, you know, because I think that's a really, really important point. And I'm really glad um, that, you know, that you're emphasizing this, because I think, you know, the, the to me, that's also part of, you know, kind of reclaiming this guiding role and rebuilding trust, saying we are able to provide a single document. We are able to somehow act in this coordinating capacity because, as you know, as you're rightly saying, states, but not only states, are rolling out their own proposals. I mean, just a couple of days ago, um, the Ragione Campania, the region around Naples, um, I mean, it has a rather, let's say, activist governor decided that it's going to create its own pass and has already printed them, you know, to give out to basically also to reactivate tourism. Industry associations are pushing this, but also tour operators, um, airlines. I mean, there's this by now this kind of cacophony of, you know, initiatives. So I think in part, it's kind of reclaiming control, as you're saying. But you know, with, with a whole series, I think, of problematic implications. But really, I mean, if you have not just states, but also regions beginning to issue their own certificates, I mean, this is, you know, um, definitely kind of a, a path to chaos. And I mean, even despite the announcement of the commission and that it's clear that there are ongoing initiatives and what you mentioned at the start, 
that uh, the European Parliament has has voted to accept this fast track process, even despite all these uh, you know efforts and urgency, whether that's artificial urgency or not, let's leave that aside for a moment. There are states who still say they want to apply similar uh, mechanisms already before this 15th of June that was already mentioned. So it's really a very um, yeah, a very strange situation to be in that there is this 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 rush, right? And and why is this rush there? Maybe that's also something that we can discuss. Definitely. Well, what you've just said, what both of you just said, uh, made me think also of some criticism that I heard from some MEPs in the European Parliament, which which are who are really uh, rightly worried about the decision to speed up the process with the with the urgent procedure because European citizens might, might, might feel uh, a lack of, of, of trust or something behind which is not explicitly said. And um, yeah, this is definitely, for example, one issue we, we, we would like, to, we could uh, talk about. But I would like to stay um, with Professor uh, Gestrein a little more because you co-authored recently a paper called uh, a terrible great idea, uh, COVID-19 uh, vaccination passport in the spotlight. So in the title of the paper, there are already some uh, hunches, I would say, about your opinion. So can, can, you, tell, uh, can you tell us uh, something more about what makes this idea terrible? Yeah, it's terrible and somehow great. <laughs> that, is, that is, I mean, there, uh, these are both elements that come into play. And I think in the situation, in which we are in right now at the moment, uh, we're all desperate because we're sitting home for such a long time. And it's really also a moment where the way out is, is unclear. And, you know, there's a lot of like frustration that I think everybody who listens to this and all of us in this discussion can share just because we had the same kind of experience over the last year or more now. But um, at the same time, when something like this is being proposed, it has to be operationalized somehow. And the point where we started with the paper is, this is not coming from a vacuum, right? So this is going to have to position itself from an organizational perspective, but also from a technical perspective and an infrastructural perspective in a landscape that already exists. And so we start in the paper by looking at so what is already happening there in digital identification and especially also in the health sector. And what we've seen over the last you know, two decades is that more and more data is being connected, more and more mechanisms to surveil are actually um, bound together so that it's not only just one mechanism which is surveilling like a CCTV system or an audio system or uh, you know, using credit card information or uh, having health data in, in some kind of system, but it's all of these systems that are increasingly tied together. And we see that already um, you know, in, the, in the literature, there is this concept about the surveillance assemblage, which is now about two decades old, which emerged around the same time as the 9-11 uh, attacks happened in 2001 in New York. And uh, since then, we have this continuous um, um, combination of different kinds of systems which increase the surveillance capacity. And particularly when we look at digital identification, more and more this tendency to have more trackers, to have more instances, to have more biometric information, and that all adds up. And now this vaccination passport or vaccine passport or digital green certificate comes about. And the essential question here really is, is this a mechanism, a tool, that allows people to show that they have a certain condition, you know, that, that to check whether something, a claim is true or not, 
or is it a mechanism to surveil, to constantly track people? And this really depends on the operational and technical uh, dimension this gets. And there is nothing in the proposal about the digital green certificate that answers this. And that is that is really concerning and worrying for me at this point. You know, let's be Sorry a bit optimistic. What, yeah? what, what are, what are, the, what are the, 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 the information we have? What's in the proposal so far about the technicalities of this, of this uh, mechanism? So the, there, the proposal remains extremely vague because it just outlines these three functions that the certificate should have that you already mentioned, you know, the proof of the, uh, the vaccination, the testing proof, and um, the, uh, that you are immune. Uh, but it only speaks about a barcode that is being used and scanned and containing this information. And the commission can actually not go further. Why? Because member states have already started to work on those technical infrastructures, which are then actually going to, you know, where, where all of this is going to be put in practice and they're going to have different kinds of approaches. And uh, there is also a real big question about how in the first place to make those systems interoperable. That is, if you have different kinds of systems, how do you make sure that the member states, that the, the, you know, that the passports from the different member states can actually talk to each other? Um, so all of these questions are completely unaddressed. And when you look at it from the perspective and the history of uh, how we regulate things like this in the European Union, it makes in a way sense because when you look at data protection as an example, the, so one of the big success stories of European data protection regulation is that it is technology neutral, is that it is principle-based, etc. But when we look here at this specific proposal, at this Lex Specialis, right, this really specific legal framework, then the principles which are enshrined in there are they are lacking from my perspective. It's really not a proper governance framework because all of these essential questions are not being addressed. And that's mainly from my perspective, because there's such a rush to have this, right? We cannot even have a discussion about these things because the member states and the regions and everybody's already moving. So all the, the commission does is uh, responding with these like very, very general, I, I cannot even call it a framework because I really think the main important questions are not being addressed. Can I, can I just jump in because I think yes, you really just I think pinpoint pinpointed you know the main problem here because on the one hand you know um, yeah it's this very vague proposal I mean you know and and I think you know both of us have been just kind of trying to dig around and figure out what what's what's there but it's vague and sweeping at the same time which is really really problematic because you know the fact that since you know and this is explicitly stated, we're operating in crisis mode. And so certain things can be pushed through, they can be suspended. So there's no impact assessment being done on this. I mean, this has been made explicit. The commission is not going to carry out an impact assessment. Um, you know, how is this possible? You know, again, with the justification that it must be done or, you know, <laughs> and I think this is really problematic and, and, and really should draw our attention. Also because ambiguity, um, it's very problematic, not only because, you know, you don't, you can't kind of, you know, kind of grab onto it, but it allows for a range of action. It allows, you know, for um, a range of possibilities, um, you know, that become very kind of slippery. So I think this is a really um, a crucial question that we need to address. And yes. I mean, 
And if I just can add to that, I think it's also very good that you say that because my worry uh, about this is that we are getting another general purpose infrastructure where it's actually quite unclear what it's meant to achieve and for whom and why. And the, the real big problem with those general purpose infrastructures is that they are you know, it's a perfect uh, prerequisite to have something that, that we can call mission creep, right? Because the infrastructure will always find a way, magically almost, to preserve itself, to find a purpose for itself. And that is exactly not what you want from a system like this. You want to have like a very clear purpose. You want to have like a very clear scenario. You want to know precisely what it does and how it does it, and potentially in a very privacy and data protection friendly way, right? But and really enhancing the autonomy, but having just a mechanism that in the end is there and somehow has to be there because we all somehow believe we don't know really why this is a good idea. That is a very, very dangerous thing because it will not stay in the function that it was originally presented for. And we have similar, uh, I could give you similar uh, examples from the past, um, as for example, telecommunications retention and, you know, taking all the logs from the from the IP addresses and the, and the telephone usage, which was originally used or in, intended to be used only for billing purposes by telecommunication providers, and is now being used for more than two decades for um, surveillance purposes by governance. And um, the problem there is, even though we have court judgments, which say just in a blanket and broad purpose, this is not possible at all, governments and law enforcement agencies and security services, they all want to have this in place, right? So once you have this discussion out there, once the infrastructure is rolled out, it's really, really difficult to get back to the state before that. I think that's why, you know, kind of one, the kind of the rhetoric of no alternative right now, and then what will surely be a kind of normalization. At what, you know, this thing will be there. The infrastructure will be there. And it will be repurposed, um, you know, once the moment of crisis for which it has supposedly been created will pass. I think, you know, um, it, it will become, as you're saying, a kind of general purpose infrastructure. And I think, you know, that's why this is the moment to question it and question its purpose. So the fact that it's being, you know, very quickly pushed through without, you know, the, the usual, you know, kind of processes, whether it's impact assessments or even a deliberative process, is really worrying. These are very, very insightful arguments. So, I mean, as far as I understand, and without exaggerating, I would say that this is, if not scaring, but I mean, problematic, uh, we have a general... Uh, framework which is uh, which which can be activated, but then there is a there is a, a big question mark about how to deactivate or to how to suspend uh, this uh, this framework. And indeed, this is something we have to reflect on, but not just reflect on it, but also also question, as you, Professor Bialashevich, just said. And and I would like to to pose both of you another question, starting with Professor Bialashevich. Um, now, given that. This framework is problematic per se. Uh, do you think that uh, that the choice of the urgent procedure really makes a difference? Like, really get get things worse, or actually, there, there is no difference whether we whether we have an ordinary legislative procedure in this case. 
it does make a difference because I, you know, it doesn't give a chance for those bodies who otherwise would assess this weather for its impacts, um, you know, on data privacy, data protection, or you know, other forms of oversight. I mean, those are being sidelined again with this rhetoric of there is no alternative. We have to move really, really, really fast because if we really want to get this thing rolled out by the fifteenth of June. It has to move extremely fast. But I mean, you know, we haven't even spoken about the other issues here because if this, you know, uh, if this magic instrument um, is supposed to do what it claims it does, and I think this is another point on which this needs to be called because the people reviewing it should not only be the lawyers and data protection people, but the scientists, first of all. Because the claim here is that somehow the possessor of the certificate is a safe traveler. There is nothing in the current scientific literature that tells us that. Those who are vaccinated, those who have immunity are still carriers, perhaps to a lower degree. I mean, we just now have the first studies coming out of places like Israel that demonstrate you know, some variability in the viral load that you can carry after full vaccination to claim that somehow somebody who is vaccinated poses no risk to other people is simply, you know, given the current scientific knowledge, it's simply untrue. So that person is safe for themselves, but not for anybody else around them. If I'm vaccinated um, and I sit next to somebody on a plane, I mean, I could be, you know, kind of covered in little green COVID uh, spikes for, you know, I'm just joking, but this is a very important point. I mean, no virologist would, you know, kind of put their hand on their heart right now and say, this passport guarantees, you know, that somebody is not a carrier. And supposedly that's what this is meant to do. It's meant to guarantee, you know, safe travel that, you know, that we're, that people are traveling without diffusing the virus. And that's not the case. So apart, you know, from the, 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 the other problems that are inherent in this document, it's not doing what it claims to do. I mean, and if we think of what happened last summer, you know, the, the, the ways in which the virus spread to various tourist locations, not just in the south of Europe, but also in the south of Europe and the effects of that. I mean, this is insane. It's completely insane. If even, you know, just from an epidemiological point of view. I mean, it doesn't, it actually even doesn't stop there. It's so, it's such a complex topic and, you know, this, um, moving so quickly and trying to immediately address something which we still unfortunately hardly understand. But we, for example, in the paper, we also make the point that uh, when you look at the vaccines used, for example, which would then enable you to um, you know, have this passport or certificate and then move around freely, um, we still need to understand which kind of vaccines work how we still need to understand how we handle that different kind of member states use different kind of vaccines. There is no consensus at this time when it comes, for example, to, to the Russian vaccine, but uh, also when it comes to other vaccines, like, but yesterday I heard that there is a vaccine being developed uh, in Cuba. And uh, it seems that this is also going to be an, a vaccine, which is going to be available for Iran. So how are we going to deal with, with these types of vaccines? And there's going to be so many, right? And again, not even in the member states of the European Union, there is currently a coordinated approach to how we deal with that. And that then feeds into 
the certificate. The same goes for proof of immunity, you know, which kind of tests do you use, which kind of tests do you accept. The same goes for the testing, of course, the immediate testing. Like, for example, in Austria right now, um, it, it's quite common to, to use a lot of uh, those rapid tests and that enables you to go to school or, or keep them open. Whereas in other countries, like, for example, in the Netherlands, where I'm residing, this is quite unusual still. And then what do you do, right? What do you do if an Austrian can, for example, enter the Netherlands based on those rapid tests perfectly uh, okay if from, from an Austrian perspective, but not from a Dutch perspective? And all of these questions need to be resolved in uh, less than three months, two and a half months. Is that really feasible? Well, and, you know, and on this point, I mean, on the, you know, the different vaccines, I was reading, I don't know if yesterday or this morning, the Lithuanian representative said that, you know, um, there, that's a red line. We will only, you know, kind of agree to the certificate recognizing EMA-approved vaccines, which means no Sputnik, of course, right? No Russian vaccine. And, you know, so this really has nothing to do with health, with safety. It has much more to do with, you know, politics, geopolitics, economic imperatives. And I think that's why it's really important to ask these questions, because, you know, I mean, I was only partially joking at the start saying it's meant to guarantee, you know, safe free movement. It does not. I mean, even if it were to fulfill its function, that's absolutely impossible. Yes, indeed, we, we, we got to, to, to some very important points uh, here. And now you, Professor Belashevich, said that maybe this is not even about health because there are so many, so many points involved, so many issues involved, uh, like geopolitics, and which means also supply of, of different vaccines, like scientific questions we have to answer, meaning uh, does, does a person who took the vaccine, uh, I don't know, infect others or not, for example. So yes, there are indeed many, many questions we have to ask, and this is the moment, especially because this legislation has been speeded, speeded up. And uh, although it would be so interesting to talk about this topic longer, I would like to conclude for today by asking both of you a last question, which is, do you think there are uh, conditions under which one can argue that this proposal could work? I mean, one could even say that it is not even time to come up with such a initiative, you know? However, uh, since uh, you, Professor Gestrein, uh, rightly mentioned in the title of your co-author paper that this is a terrible yet great idea, do you think there are conditions under which uh, this proposal could really achieve some useful target? Well, I have to make the caveat that, of course, I'm also only speculating and all I can use is my experience and, um, you know, following digital identity systems and infrastructures and surveillance technologies, specifically with a COVID corrector or a COVID related corrector. And I think from the beginning, as you know, many people will not like to hear that and many constituents at this point in time definitely don't like to hear it. But the first thing will be really to manage expectations. 
And that is the big problem because everyone right now in politics on the European and international level seems to feel so much pressure that they really hold on to something which never can deliver on the, on the promise. So that's the first thing, manage expectations. And then the second thing, if for a change, we'd like to take a constructive position, um, which is hardly ever possible because of all of those artificial rush and those wrong you know, promises. But if we were to take this constructive perspective, then I would say, let's really start with the consideration of very, very specific scenarios and build it incrementally from there. But that does also clearly mean that by August or September in this summer, not everybody will be, you know, just easily available or uh, it will not be possible for everybody just to go on a summer holiday as he or she or, you know, the family might like. But it's really like very, very specific scenarios like uh, long haul international traveler that uh, travels for a very specific business purpose. And then you can build it incrementally from there, but very sector specific and see, you know, does that work in the context? And, um, and I mean, the, the big problem here is also another big problem, like who's in charge of these initiatives? Because what we also see is that um, some sectors, when it comes to, you know, specific scenarios, like for example, this business traveler long haul, um, might be, there might be um, there might be uh, 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 yeah a valid purpose there for that, and then you can very slowly incrementally you know creating those experiences from the practice when you roll out when you roll it out very slowly you might that might be working, but it's not it's not a panacea. And right now the focus is on this promise of you know what in two months it will be fine, and that's unfortunate. It's just not true. It's not going to happen that way. So in a nutshell, what I would say is. Uh, think about very, very specific applications where you, um, where all of the actors involved together work on uh, open standards and really enabling the autonomy of the individual in that, in that, for this legitimate purpose. But there is always the danger that this will be repurposed and that goes much too quickly, unfortunately. Professor Belashevich, do you want to add something? Um Thanks so much for, for noting that, because I think it's exactly that. It's this promise. And with this artificial, what is not an artificial kind of deadline of the summer holidays. I mean, it's so, you know, kind of, you know, you were asking us at the start of this podcast, you know, what is the purpose? I mean, it's, you know, it's insane to think that the summer holidays should take precedence over public health. But that's this artificial deadline is very much being, you know, kind of pushed with this, you know, magical deadline of the 15th of um, June, where um, Commissioner Breton even yesterday said that there's already a disjuncture of about a month, because he said, well, you know, maybe by the 14th of July, and there, another arbitrary day, Bastille Day, you know, so we can celebrate. I mean, you know, uh, Joe Biden said that he would like to use the 4th of July this year to celebrate America's independence from the virus. I'm not making this up. So this is the, I guess, the European response. We're going to use Bastille Day to celebrate our independence from the virus. And apparently, wait, if all goes according to plan, which I mean, that anybody would even utter those words, considering what has happened over the past year, if all goes according to plan, apparently 70% or so of Europeans should be vaccinated by then, achieving a sort of herd immunity, so we should be able to move around. 
So why is the vaccine certificate being rolled out a month earlier? One question. I mean, just to get us to think of the arbitrariness of that deadline. What would be the alternative? Vaccinate people, test. Um, I mean, there are things we can do before we can even get to that. I mean, the inequalities in vaccine access are still so striking, just even within the EU. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, not to you know speak of the rest of the world, um, and you know where those inequalities are even you know uh, sharper, but even within EU states, between them, uh, you know, first address those, um, get the most vulnerable vaccinated. Um, and you know, implement other safety measures. Then we can start talking about you know the rollout of these grand schemes. I mean, I think that would be my uh, my suggestion. Yeah, and um, I, I totally agree uh, on that point. That I mean, also a lot of colleagues have said it's it's at this point still a premature idea. Um, and yeah, I think also unfortunately that the whole vaccination campaign has been so politicized and at the moment everything is so politicized that the the most constructive thing that we could do is again going back focusing on the science focusing on the problem addressing really the main concerns um and not trying to fall into a trap of bringing yet another technological tool you know last year we've been talking about the digital contact tracing apps um, and, and before that, we've been talking about how to use all kind of uh, big data, telephony data, et cetera, to surveil people more, more comprehensively. And all of these discussions, they just seem to somehow magically drag away the attention from, from the real hard, solid truth that we just need to face. And there, the, the problem is, if you focus too much on those alternatives, then... Um, we will not only not make progress where it really would be useful to make progress, but also we will at the same time create these new, like what I called earlier, general purpose infrastructures, which will keep us haunting even when the pandemic is over. You know, once it is ever over, because that is also something that, that at the moment we really cannot see how long we will have to live in, this, in, in a similar kind of state than we do right now. Indeed, it makes totally sense. Uh, thank you for your suggestions, which are not only clear, but I would say reasonable because grounded in the analysis, we've just made it together. You actually just made it. And uh, so I thank you a lot for your opinions and for enlightening us a little more about this so important proposal. And um, so I hope to have you as guests again in this podcast. And I thank you also my audience. So see you to the next episode.